0: Hebrews chapter 12. As I was thinking about today and thinking about what message to bring in this series on missionaries and what God is calling us to do as people, and pairing that with Senior Sunday, a particularly important Senior Sunday for our family because it's the first one for one of our four children. I thought about the message that I would want to preach and the missionary that we would want to talk about, And I had a clear vision from the Lord about one particular missionary that is not best known for being a missionary. And so I thought we'd play a fun little game. I think it's fun. I won't ask you whether you do or not in a moment, all right? We'll play a fun little game called Guess the Missionary. And I'm just going to put up a couple of pictures and then a video. And I don't want anybody to shout it out because we don't want to ruin it for everybody. We don't want to ruin the fun for everybody, right? And so if you think you know who this is, write it down, all right? I'm just interested to see... How many people might know who this is? So here's the first picture that we have on the screen. There you go. Everybody's got that, right? Don't tell me, but does anybody think they know? Good. Nobody. All right. That's good. It's a great game. All right. Second picture Here's the second picture. Maybe this will help. All right. There you go. Anybody? Still nothing. All right. I thought somebody might have it by now. All right. Here's the video. See if this... We need sound on this too, guys. I don't know if you're aware of that. All right. Over here, they don't know. All right. Anybody know who this is now? All right. Um, How many of you know the guy's name that's up there? All right. I said not to yell it out. We don't want to ruin it for everybody. Who was that? Was that Mike Allen in the bag back there? Mike Allen. I, just, I, just, I said how many knew, all right? Here's the second question. If I made it where you could say the chariot of fire dude, how many of you would get that? A few more, all right? So we're going to talk today about a guy named Eric Liddell, who was born in China to missionary parents, served as a missionary to China, died in an internment camp during World War II, and yet none of that is what he is best known for. He is best known because in 1924 in Paris, France, he won the gold medal and set the world record for the Olympic and the Olympic Games for the 400 meter run. Now they made a movie about it and that's where most people know him from. In 1982, best picture at the Oscars. I didn't do extensive research, but I think he's the only missionary to ever have a best picture made about him. Chariots of Fire, with that iconic score, told the story of the runner whose fame was partially known because he was the best in the world, but also partially because he was unwilling to run any meets on Sunday. He would never run on Sunday, even if it meant a final or a semifinal, he would not run on Sunday. Today we're going to talk about Eric Lindell. and we're going to pair it with Hebrews chapter 12 because the Bible has lots of imagery for us about sports or athletics. 1 Corinthians 9.26, 2 Corinthians 4, nine, give us understanding of boxing and how that relates to the Christian life. Ephesians 6.12 tells us how wrestling correlates to the Christian life. Now, by the way, that's like ancient wrestling, not WWE, all right? So, you know. And then the most talked about, though, is the one talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Timothy 4, 7, in Hebrews 12, they talk about the Christian life as a race. Now, they would have known about big competitions. There were things called the Isthmian Games. There were the original Olympic Games that they would have been aware of and known about. They would have understood competition and the importance of that. They would have had stadiums filled with thousands of people. And so their understanding of sports, although the sports might be in some ways different, in some ways not. They still had stadiums where people ran in races around it during biblical times. Very similar to what we have today. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he gives us an understanding of the Christian life through the lens of a race. This particular passage applies to all of us. It applies to every single one of us in this room, but it also especially applies to those who are either graduating from college and are setting out on a life that is before them, graduating with a master's and setting out on life that is before them, or especially graduating from high school and what life has to offer. As Anne Marie said, it's been one of the most difficult years I could ever imagine to be a senior. I've lived with a senior through this particular year and know some of the challenges that he has faced and his class have faced. There's no way that I can know all of them because I'm not living through that myself. And yet as they look into a future that seems to be brightening, at least in the front of the pandemic, the question becomes, where do we go from here? Today, I don't really have an answer for everybody about exactly where you go from here. But I do have an answer on how you go from here. And that applies to if, whether or not you have no clue what the future holds or you're somebody that is established in what you know God has called you to do and you are moving forward confidently in the midst of that. Whether you are fresh out of school or whether you have been doing what you're doing for the last 20 years. In Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 tell us exactly how to go about it. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Three things that I want us to see real quickly today out of this passage and out of the life of Eric Liddell that help us to understand what it means to live the Christian life or how to do that. The first thing that I see in this passage that I want us to do is that we need to embrace the cloud. Now, in today's world, if I ask you, what do you think of when you think of cloud? Well, some people would immediately say the things that are in the sky that bring rain sometimes. But in the last five to ten years, the term the cloud has come to mean something different for most of us, right? I remember, actually, about eight or nine years ago, it was in my first couple of years here as your pastor that I read a book that described a future in which our computers would not have anything on them, but to be a terminal that we would plug into and allow everything that we have to be in the mysterious cloud out there. And at that moment, my first thought was, that is not going to happen. You know how you never anticipate things that are going to happen when they do. And yet now when I think about it, almost everything that I have is backed up on a computer in the cloud. In this mysterious somewhere, servers that are out there that host all of this information, encrypted or not, about me and my life and what's happening here and about all that stuff, right? Our church management software is in the cloud. Banking is in the cloud. The uh, giving, we have giving that goes through the cloud now. Now, originally, obviously, in the time of Hebrews chapter 12, that's not what they're talking about, this kind of technological thing. But it is a different understanding of the word than we know of from anywhere else in that history. And that is that what they're envisioning in chapter 12 is that we all have people who have gone before us and are with us now who form this support group that allow us to become the people that God intends for us to be. The actual mental picture is of a stadium full of people cheering you on as you run your race. Over the last few weeks, as things are opening back up, as requirements are loosening regarding the pandemic, it's been interesting to watch as crowds have come back to our stadiums, to baseball fields in particular, and you feel and hear the excitement that is there, the cheering that is happening. Um, I haven't talked uh, about Tennessee athletics in years probably because we've been terrible at everything. But yesterday, the baseball team defeated the number one team in the nation. They're number four in the nation right now on a ninth inning three-run homer when they were down by two. And it was the first weekend where a full stadium was allowed. And it was crazy. This stadium filled with people cheering and yelling and screaming for all that was going on. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 is speaking of that figuratively. And what it means is the people that are literally gathered around, that are gathered around, that have been supporting us and encouraging us throughout our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 comes immediately on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11. And the word therefore is there, which means we must look back to what was there. And Hebrews chapter 11 is simply a list of people that have been faithful to following God. From Abraham, Moses, David, and moments after moment from the Old Testament that is there. And as it lists all those, it says, as we look back on those people and what they did in their faith, and we think about all that is surrounding us here, and as we move forward, we go embracing what has gone before and the people that are supporting us now. Eric Liddell was a guy that was born in China to two parents who were missionaries, James and Mary Liddell. During turbulent times, the Boxer Rebellion was happening. Over 200 missionaries in China were killed during James and Mary's time as missionaries, and especially in the Boxer Rebellion. In the area where he was particularly working was a difficult area. Eighty churches were destroyed and hundreds of Christians in that area were killed. And when given the opportunity to go somewhere that wasn't as dangerous, Eric's dad said, I will gladly undertake the duties pertaining to a real pioneer situation, and I will stay where I am. Friends, when asked later about where Eric would get his resolve in following the Lord, no matter what came into his life, would say that it started in the home with his greatest earthly influence, his mom and dad that they form the beginning of his cloud of witnesses. We all have clouds of witnesses in our lives. For me, I think about obviously my mom and dad growing up, my grandparents, granny and gramps, who raised me in the summers while mom and dad worked and took me to Bible schools in the summer, multiple sometimes. Who would always talk about their faith. My grandfather was the first person I ever knew that went on an international mission trip short term. I think about Sunday school teachers that were important to me, Mr. Cook and Ms. Gaines. I think about a youth worker who worked with me as our interim youth minister year after year when uh, youth ministers would come and kind of go, a guy named Mike McCullough that's still a mentor to this day. My pastor, Raymond Buddy Boston, who was a strong influence on my life. My father-in-law, who I met before Susan and I were married or even dating, who became a significant influence on my life. This church has members that have gone before, that have been clouds of witnesses for us. I have people in my life today, fellow pastors and friends and People of this church that are part of that great cloud, that encourage and support as we run the race that God has called us to. My question for you is, who is that in your life? I'm not talking about who are your good friends. I'm not talking about who do you like to hang with. I'm talking about who are those people in your life that are are encouraging you to walk in the way that God has called you to walk. Because when the cloud of witnesses is discussed here, it's not just random supporters that say they are with you. It is people that are spurring you on to what God has called you to do. And I want to ask, who are the people in your past that have encouraged you in that way? Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you don't have that kind of story. I'm privileged, thankful for the story that I have with the people that have been in my life. But perhaps you don't have that. And perhaps now, one of the things that ought to happen in your life, is I need to begin to search for that, seek that. Maybe the relationships you're in are not the ones that are fulfilling in your relationship with Christ. The first thing that we're going to do if we're going to live effectively for the Lord is we're going to embrace the cloud, the people that God has placed there to push us on. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to focus on what matters. I was just thinking about this with the story of Eric Liddell. I mean, he won a gold medal in 1924 and set a world record in the race. For most people, that would be the absolute highlight of their lives. Right? I mean, that's people trained for years for that. And yet he knew even as he was racing, even as he was training, even as he was going for that particular race, he knew that that was not what his life was all about. And he focused his life on what was most important. The way that it says it in chapter 12 is that we are to lay aside every hindrance... And also the sin that so easily entangles us. I think one of the most interesting things about this particular passage is that it tells us to lay aside two things and they're separate. It doesn't say lay aside every hindrance that is a sin. It says every hindrance and a sin. That means that there are things in our lives which aren't necessarily bad things but can get in the way of us Doing what God has called us to do. Distractions, desires, ambitions, relationships, tradition, prejudices can get in our way of doing what God has called us to do. Some of those things, on their own, are not bad, and in our lives, necessarily at a certain level, are not bad. But when they become the things that drive our lives, and they become the things that take over our lives, they become the things that encumber us and weigh us down. I recently listened to uh, an audio book by a guy named Michael Lewis. He's most famous for writing a book called The Blind Side about um, offensive tackle Michael Orr and his rise through um, a family in Memphis. Michael Lewis described a, something that he got involved in that he never intended to get involved in, and that was the American Youth Sports Complex. He had two daughters, and one of his daughters was apparently pretty good at softball. And he said at one point, while his wife was on a trip in Oregon with her daughter, waiting for a rainout to determine whether or not they were driving all the way back to California or they were going to stay an extra day, whether the rain was going to subside or not, when they had spent a few thousand dollars to make that trip, for a middle-of-the-year tournament that would not make a huge difference in the the end-of-the-year tournament, he said, she called and said, we're done. When they evaluated how much, and Michael Lewis is not, as far as I know, a believer. He's not someone that follows Christ in any way. But he said, I realized that we had spent years chasing a dream that was really unattainable. And so in the book, he just begins to list some of the statistics that I thought was interesting. And he lists the number of kids that expect to either get a college scholarship or go pro. In fact, it is 60% of high school athletes think they're going to get a scholarship. When the numbers are less than one in a hundred do Twenty-five to thirty percent think they're going to go pro in their sport and the actual percentage is one in sixteen thousand high school athletes go pro. Michael Lewis, non-believer, writer, said that there was a moment of revelation that yes, she enjoyed this, but the amount of time and money and effort we had spent had been focused in a direction that could have gone to more meaningful things. One of the things I love about the story of Eric Liddell is that he was a guy that made it to the absolute pinnacle of his day, the Olympic gold medal. And yet if you read his story, and the reason they made a movie about him is that was never the gold of his life. Story is told that around 1923, 1922, 1923, he was faithful to the Lord, but he had never really spoken about it in a public way. And one of his good friends asked him to speak, and he said he was not going to speak. He said, I just just don't know. And he said, let me think about it for a couple of days. And he says, I need to know tomorrow. The next day, Eric got a letter that had been mailed months previously from his sister in China, that basically said, I believe God is telling me it's time for you to tell your story. Eric Liddell called his friend and said, I'll do it even though I don't want to. And he stood up in front of a group of people and gave his testimony in front of a group of athletes that respected him as a runner and several that day gave their lives to Christ. And he told his friend, thank you for giving me a reassurance about the purpose of my life from this day forward. We're to get rid of anything in our lives, is what it says, that's hindering us, or the sin, things that are bad in our lives that we need to get rid of that are causing us not to be able to do what God's called us to do. And then this is the last thing, and then we're done. So after we... Embrace the cloud and focus on what matters. We then follow the example. This is what I love about what happens here in chapter 12, in the first three verses. We've had chapter 11 that listed person after person of faith. I mean, you can just look back, and there are names: Jephthah and Samson and David and Samuel. Those are people that they just kind of, kind of move over. Jacob and Abraham. And then you get to chapter 12, and it says, we're going to lay aside all this stuff. We're going to run with endurance. That's important. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Bad things are going to happen in our lives. In the midst of that, how do we keep going? And it says, we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And there's a definitive article in the original language That says basically, this has been all of the people that showed faith. They have been great. But Jesus is the example. All these other people were great examples. Jesus is the example. And that word fix your eyes means to put them on Jesus and to keep them there. That He is the pioneer. He is the example. He is the one that we are to dwell on and think about. Verse 3 says, consider him who endured such hostilities. The word consider there is a word of command. It means to study. It means to meditate on. It means to carefully analyze. He said, think about that and what Jesus did for us so that we will not grow weary and that we will not lose heart. Listen, the worst thing that we could ever tell people that were finishing high school or college, or for any of us in this room that decide we're going to live our lives more passionately devoted to the calls of Christ, the worst thing we could ever say is, and when you do that, life's going to get a lot easier. Because that's not guaranteed, and that's not the experience. In fact, sometimes choosing to follow the Lord brings things into your life that are harder. But we fix our eyes on the One who gave His life literally for us and scorned the shame of the cross. Sat down at the right hand of the Father where He is making, as we heard last week, intercession for us. And when we think about what He did for us, we can live without growing weary. After running in the race and finishing His career, Eric Liddell would become a missionary in China, and it was during a particularly difficult time in the history of China. They could sense that the war that was happening was starting to come their direction. World War II was in Europe and starting to happen in the West, in the East, Far East. And so as they're thinking through that, Eric decided he needed to get his family to safety. So just before Pearl Harbor happened in 1941, Eric arranged for his wife, who was pregnant, and his two daughters to leave China. He had told them that they were going to go ahead. He got enough for them to go, and he said, I'll be right behind you. But he never was able to make that trip. He never saw his third daughter born. And yet he didn't lose heart. I'm reading now from a biography of his life. He would continue to serve as a faithful missionary until he was sent to an internment camp in in August of 1943. There he continued to serve Jesus faithfully and was an inspiration to many, including the children that were in the camp who called him Uncle Eric. There was a fellow missionary there by the name of David Mitchell who was imprisoned with him and he described that even though they lived in the squalor of cesspools and rats and flies and disease, that because of Eric and his cheerful and faithful support, life began a normal routine that allowed people to manage. And he said, I asked myself the question over and over again, what is the secret of the life that Eric has? And he said, my answer came to me, he is unreservedly committing his life to Jesus as his Savior and Lord. He had a real friendship with Christ that meant everything to him. By the flickering light of a peanut oil lamp, early each morning, he and his roommate in the men's cramped dormitory studied the Bible and talked with God for an hour. February 21st, 1945, just a few months before the end of World War II, Eric Liddell died in a Japanese internment camp. He was buried there as well. They discovered in an autopsy later that he had an inoperable brain tumor. It's out there that one of the things that he said is, God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure. There's no evidence that he ever said that. But he did say this about who we are. He says all of us are missionaries and wherever we go we either bring people nearer to Christ or we repel them from Christ. Eric Liddell faithfully and consistently did the former a life that was fragrant offering to his king. He embraced the cloud and focused on what mattered, and lived and followed the example of Christ. The question for all of us in this room today is, will we do the same? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day when we have celebrated transition, the new beginnings, endings, Lord, we're thankful for an opportunity we have to every day you tell us that your grace, that your mercy, that your love is new every morning. Your mercy is new every morning. And Lord, that you are faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you. Lord, we pray that today we would commit our lives to live them unencumbered by the things that weigh us down and the sin that so easily entangles us and focused on following the example of Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's one in here that does not know you today, that does not know you as their Savior, that you would give them just an understanding of their need for you. Lord, I pray if there are those in here today who are followers of yours, that are believers, have been saved, That You would give them just the wisdom to understand those things in their lives that are hindering them from truly living for You. Lord, I pray that You will give them that understanding of who their cloud of witnesses are, the people that are supporting them in their spiritual lives, not just their buddies and friends and those that are fun to hang out with, Lord, but those people that are encouraging to them spiritually. Lord, I pray. that Your will would be done in our lives above all else. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.